You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. God, we ask that you would make your son present to us here this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. All right, if you'd love to, if you'd like to, uh, please turn to page four. I'll be talking about Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, but before we get to the actual text, um, have any of you ever seen the movie Blue Valentine? It's with Ryan Gosling. It's got one of my loves, Michelle Williams. Um, you don't have to have seen this movie to get the illustration that's about to come. Uh, but in the movie, Ryan Gosling's character, Michelle Williams' character, they are, they have this kind of passionate romance. They get married, I guess you might say, fairly suddenly. Uh, but, I mean, they are in love. They've made vows to each other. They're going through life. The movie kind of goes back and forth between a flash forward and a flash back. And we see them 10 years later, and their marriage is kind of barely hanging on. Ryan Gosling's character, uh, he is, he's got an addiction. Uh, he is a real piece of work. And it's actually, I can't really recommend it, not because there's anything like super foul in it, but it's just, it's, it's pretty depressing. Uh, but by the end of it, um, there's this moment that's stuck with me since I've watched it. Uh, it's one of the most powerful moments in film, I think. And at the end, they're about to split up. She's about to leave. Um, and again, I'm not saying she shouldn't necessarily leave that situation, at least for the time being, but there's this moment in the film where they're flashing back to when they're in love, flashing forward to when their marriage is a mess. And he says to her, you made a promise. Uh, and you, the viewer at this point, for whatever reason, we all collectively get goosebumps. Um, and at that moment, she looks at him and the movie essentially just ends. Um, and there's this, this mo moment, I think, for a lot of us because, and if you've been through an abusive situation or if you have been uh, in a marriage where it has been very toxic or someone's been cheating on you, this is not me saying. Uh, you know, the, the scriptures give clear stipulation for when separation is in fact necessary. And some of us have had to get out of those situations. So with that caveat, Aside, I think what's so powerful about this moment in the film is that we all crave for those whom we deem praiseworthy in our lives to keep their promises. And for many of us, we've had numerous experiences of the exact opposite. And sometimes it's been by those who are closest to us. Sometimes it's those who we just assumed would be there to the very end or never let us down. Um, but people did. Promise is such an, an important concept. And we, we all, even the most you know, solo of us, there's some kind of promise that we're resting in, that we need to be true. Um, and we see this oftentimes, people falling into despair when these promises are broken. The reason why I start with this illustration is in this passage of the book of Galatians, it's all about 
a promise. St. Paul can be difficult to follow. He's got a lot of things going on in his head at the same time. Really smart guy. He's probably, you know, saying what he wants to be written to the Galatians out loud to some transcriber. And so it, it works differently than if you sat down and wanted to create a perfect treatise or tome. But really, it's quite simple what he's doing here. When we see before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed, the law being our guardian before Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. What he's saying is, and if you know anything about the letter to the Galatians, it's that the Galatians have lent their, they've, their full weight is leaning on observance to the commandments. They have been told by these teachers that you have to observe the commandments, the law, the guardians, in order to be good with God. Here in Galatians, Paul, in, in his letter where he is the angriest, right? Who has bewitched you? Uh, that, I mean, in English, that doesn't really get what Paul is saying. He, Paul is essentially cursing those who've given this gospel that is contrary to the true gospel. What Paul is saying here is, who has bewitched you? I gave you this gospel, the promise of God that is not contingent upon law observance. No, the promise of God is in Christ Jesus. The promise of God is by his work that we might be justified by faith. And he goes, his rhetoric here is so strong. In fact, for a lot of us, we don't really know what to do with it. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. You can see why later in his letter to the Romans, he has to call the law holy, righteous, and good. Because you could really understand Paul to be like, throw it out altogether. And what Paul is doing later here is truly radical. And we haven't We're so used to the language that we've forgotten how radical this is. But let's get there. Let's, let's, Let's get there. Faith has come. We're no longer subject to a guardian. And I would encourage you to look at other translations because the ESV here, not the greatest. Just just saying. Sorry, ESV lovers. Um, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So who is... Paul is reacting against those who are saying, you've got to be a Jew in order to be a Christian. Let's let's put simplistically. You've got to adopt these social boundary markers, such as, for men, circumcision. How do you be a good follower of the way of Jesus? You have to embrace the law. Now, Paul is writing here about more than what separates Jews from Gentiles. He seems to be writing about the law in general, but he's zeroing in on what we might call the social boundary markers here in this part of the letter. What he's doing here is he's saying, and again, here's where we, we Protestants, uh, and, and we, we try so hard not to be Roman Catholics that, I don't know, when's the last time you've been to a baptism? I mean, the last time you went to a baptism, especially in our Protestant church, we're at such pains to say what it's not, that it's like, well, what is it even about? Why do we even do it? Uh, But Paul here, as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. 
What Paul is doing here is he's saying essentially that he's zeroing in on that social boundary marker, that aspect of the law, be circumcised in order to be an offspring of Abraham. And what he's saying, no, be baptized. Be baptized. This is the way to be an offspring of Abraham now. Baptism, as Fleming Rutledge puts, is, is a picture of the transference from the kingdom of sin and death into the kingdom of God. So we who are made right with God, we who are given a promise from God, a promise that, you know, unlike in the movie Blue Valentine, unlike in so many of the promises that you and I have experienced that have not, those we love have not followed through, or what's worse, right? Because we love to talk about those we love who haven't followed through. What about us? The promises that we've made, uh, that when we really look at the mirror long enough, we, we see just, oh, that was, we have to distract ourselves with our you know, music and our ears and uh, scrolling because it's just, oh, instead of actually pursuing that repentance and faith um, and reconciliation, uh, because it's, there's something strong, there's something powerful about a promise. In this text, Paul, and, and throughout Galatians, he's saying that we're leaning our full weight not on law observance, not on what's going to make us offspring of Abraham through works. We're leaning our whole weight in what Christ has done, in Christ's promise. And what's the result? What's the result of Christ's work? There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. The social boundary markers that I talked about earlier, that dividing wall of hostility has been broken down once and for all. There is no Jew or Greek. You who are not circumcised, don't, you don't need to go out and get circumcised. You who aren't trying to become a Jew, you don't need to become a Jew. Our Lord Jesus has paved the way. I think it's fortuitous that this text is on Juneteenth because we, we still have this, we still have Jews and Greeks in our day and age. We still have divisions. And I don't want to be too hard on us. And do not perceive this as me being like that guy from New York City who's being hard at you because we have the same exact problem at Calvary St. George's in New York City. It's an unfortunate reality that, and it's not just white churches, it's also black churches, that they're almost wholly white or wholly black. We see in the scriptures Paul trying to come to grips with what he's just said here, there's neither slave nor free in the book of Philemon, right? Where Paul, uh, who, whom we love, but who can be very passive-aggressive at times, he's essentially telling this slave master friend of his, hey, you know, I've done good things for you, and, you know, if you find it in your heart, please receive the runaway slave back and treat him like a brother. If you would remember, I've done a lot for you. Um, we see this trajectory that the gospel initiates, that Paul is trying to see through, that we in our own age are dealing with as the church in itself. 
We see this, you know, with men and women, right? This kind of, you know, are we equal? Are we not? We, we've been dealing with these things from the beginning. And what Paul is saying is that the cross and resurrection has really shifted things. It's an upside-down kingdom in more ways than one. There is no Jew nor Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ. You are all equal in Christ. And at the eschaton, we will see this. On some level, the way we look at how we proceed through life is by looking backward, not from our time to Jesus' time. We do that, of course. But also from kingdom come to now. What will it be? There is no Jew or Greek. Now, friends, this is all resting on that, you know, gospel balm, right? The balm of Gilead, that we are made right with God, that God has made a promise to you and to me that is unbreakable. This is why we say those comfortable words every single week, despite the fact that we continue to build up walls between Jews and Gentiles, between slave and free, between men and women, The promise is not contingent even upon us living into the reality of the coming kingdom. Nevertheless, this balm of Gilead, this freedom in Christ, this this notion, this this top-down love, this, this love that means we don't have to be defensive anymore. We don't have to hide anymore. When I when I've done something wrong, my first instinct is to get defensive, is to justify myself. I know that's not true for any of you out there, but that's what it is for me. What the gospel means is that you don't have to anymore. That respect for you, that love for you is not contingent upon you being right, upon me being right. The good news of the gospel means that you and I are free to be wrong. Free to have it wrong altogether. And what that means, we might just find ourselves a little bit more open. We might find ourselves less defensive. You and I have a promise. And though every other person be a liar, though all those we are close to all those who are praiseworthy, all those who we wanted the promise to be true, though they all be a liar. Christ is no liar. Christ goes to the cross on our behalf. He will experience death rather than be untrue to his promise to you and me. So friends, essentially whether we change it all, whether we get our acts together at all, this promise is true. But there will be a day when not only the promise will be true, but these realities will be true. This reality that Paul is talking about is the good life. It might be scary to us in the here and now, but this is the good life, the good life that is coming like it or not. So why not take a step into it? It's not as easy as that, of course. And we're going to take, you know, one step forward, two steps back constantly. 
But the good news of the gospel is good for you and me because we are safe, because we are secure, but also because the good life is coming despite the fact that our flesh is not all that interesting in it most of the time. So this really is the best news of all. You and I are safe. The good life that we all say we want is coming. So in the meantime, and I believe this is on page 10, you know, I can't go a sermon without talking about the collect, right? The collect says, O Lord, make us have perpetual love and reverence for your name. For you and I, who constantly fall back on our safety, constantly go back to our negative character traits, our sins, etc. Between now and then, our prayer is this. Make us fall in love with you. Prevent us from pursuing the less wild lovers that we're so into, the money, the fame, the security, whatever you have, whatever you want to name. You and I are safe. You and I can take risks. You and I can love. And thanks be to God, there will be no more Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There will be no separation between genders. We will all be one in Christ. This is good news. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.